Georgia's DBHDD is warning all Georgians that half of all opioid deaths happen at home when people take an oxy or a perk with a glass of alcohol for stress or to sleep. Learn more about protecting families from opioid overdoses at opioidresponse.info. Thanks for listening to the Political Rewind podcast. Be sure to like and follow us and rate us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining us for another edition. I'm Bill Nygut. Um, We're very happy to have you here for Political Rewind today. And today, we are going to continue our series of conversations with important thought leaders in Georgia. Our guest is Renee Alegria, CEO and President and CEO of Mundo Now. And I'll introduce uh, Renee more formally in a minute. You all know him. I mean, those of you who listen to the show regularly have heard Renee on many times, but because he's our special guest today in a minute, he's going to get a more formal uh, introduction uh, than usual. But before I do that, let me bring in my regular Thursday partner from the AJC, Kevin Riley, editor-at-large of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Kevin, I think we're both, we both know Renee really well, and I think we were both really thrilled with the idea of getting an hour to talk to him today, yes? You're muted, Kevin. We're not hearing you for a minute. We'll we'll work out that we'll work out that problem. Uh, so let me go ahead while Kevin is uh, f- fixing his setup and introduce you, Renee Alegria. Um, you are the president and CEO of Mundo Now, and and I think it's worth pointing out just briefly the history of the operation that you now run. Um, in 1979, the Latin American Association in Atlanta launched a newsletter, Mundo Hispanico, and ran it for many years. It was an important um, publication for people in the Hispanic community now, because in those days, they were getting very little news about their own community and interest from other publications. Eventually, Mundo Hispanico was bought by Cox, which, um, of course, is the biggest media company in uh, the Southeast and certainly one of the biggest in the country. It was subsequently bought uh, by uh, Sam Zamoripa, uh, who used to be a state senator, Hispanic himself. You became president and CEO and um, have moved the company over, especially the last couple of years, to an all-digital operation. And if you don't mind, Renee, before well, I, I turn it over to you to say a few words. Let me give our listeners uh, some data about Mundo Now. You have 10 million unique visitors every month, 70 million page views, 250 million ad impressions. And so what started as a Spanish language newspaper has morphed into, in many ways, the most important digital publication serving the Hispanic, the Latino community in the United States. With all that, Renee, I'm so glad you're with us. Thank you uh, so much for having me, Bill, and the entire team. It's always fun to be on your show, to have the opportunity to you know weigh in on all things, either Hispanic or otherwise. Um, you know, listening to those stats, it's kind of mind, mind-boggling, right? And, you know, you, you can't get to where you are without, of course, the people who have come before you 
as well as the team that supports you, right? So Lino Dominguez, who was the uh, founding uh, publisher of Mundo Hispanico, then a Spanish language newspaper, you know, you kind of just all great ideas are 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 born with someone like his, uh, you know, creativity, his ambition. Um, when he sold the paper to Cox, uh, you know, Cox did a, a wonderful job in helping to capitalize, to grow, to really make sure that uh, the the right people were hired and in the in in the right spots. And and when we had the opportunity to come in and kind of take Mundo and bring it back into the community as a certified minority owned media platform. And there are hardly any out there. Okay. Um, it was an opportunity that I, I certainly could not resist. And of course, uh, Sam Zamaripa owe him so much in actually making the call to have me come to Atlanta and, uh, and be part of the energy of what's happening in the state of Georgia. Well, we're going to talk about how that happened um, and, and a career previous to coming to uh, Mundo. Um, uh, but I want to also acknowledge, I'm going to be grateful for a very long time that it was Sam Zamaripa who introduced you and, and me. And uh, it was because of him that we've been able to have you as a panelist on this show for a long time. Now, Kevin, are you with us at this point? We're still tr struggling. I think what we're going to do, Kevin, is uh, get, send you a phone line that you can use because we really don't want to have this conversation without you. So Natalie Mendenhall will get that to you. Um, so Renee, I'd like to go back and talk about your personal journey uh, as, as we get started here. Um, you grew up, your first generation American born, I think that's right. Your parents, uh, both from Mexico, I have that right. Yeah. Second generation. Second generation. No, um, it's, it's a common, it's a common mistake. Sure. Okay, so you grew up in Arizona, essentially in what we used to call, we don't use this uh, expression as much anymore, a blue-collar family. Your father was a copper miner. So talk yeah. to us about what, what was that like for you as a family? What was his work like? How did it impact you growing up? Talk to us a little about your early experiences. Sure. Uh, well, it's it's in, it's obviously the timing of Father's Day being on Sunday. I... Uh, we we lost our dad um, during COVID pandemic. There wasn't even a memorial service. It's it's been surreal in that respect. Uh, like so many millions of Americans going through through that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I grew up in the desert. I grew up in Tucson, Arizona. Um, Pop, which is what everybody called him. You know, everybody in the neighborhood called him that. Um, you know, he he uh, he did what he had to do to uh, to provide for us as a family. You know, I mean, growing up, it was our 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 days and nights were dictated by his work shifts, right? So he worked the day shift, the afternoon shift, the night shift, right? So each shift then would influence whether we had to be quiet, whether we had to be outside. You know, I, it, it was that kind of, you know work schedule mentality. Uh, he, ironically enough, um, before he moved uh, to the United States was a fledgling uh, radio personality in Northern Mexico. Huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, he certainly, it wasn't on the Bill Nygut level, right? I mean, he was, he was, uh, 
good looking guy who was really charismatic, who, you know, would go out and 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 host um, it, master of ceremonies and then would, uh, you know, report in with interviews, et cetera. Uh, but, you know, he knew that in order for him to provide a better life for himself and, and his family, he immigrated to to the United States. And, and you know, again, that's that kind of provided the the drive that every every second generation immigrant family has to achieve. Well, Ke- Kevin, I know, is with us. And before I turn it over to him, I want to ask you one other question. What did your parents teach you about what it meant to be Hispanic in the United States at the time that you were a little boy and growing up? It, it was it was an odd time in, in Arizona. Arizona was, uh, at the time, it's actually interesting in that now it's a, it's more of a purple state, right? But it was, it, the, the climate was not so friendly to immigrants uh, when I grew up. And it was, uh, you know, we grew up on a, on a segregated side of town, basically. And, you know, you just had to watch yourself and be careful and, and, uh, and you know, make sure that you had your cousins or your friends around you if you, you know, traveled to the other side of town and whatnot. Um, I, I, you know, it, the one thing, though, that, that he certainly instilled in me is to, to not pay attention to a lot of that stuff have it fuel you and and it has i i've i've made my uh everything that i've done in my professional career has been in some form or another in service to my hispanic community and i i just i would not i would not be able to work these long hours and all you know do what you do if i didn't have that that purpose and i know that he put that in me Kevin Riley, I know you're back with us. Hey, I'm very sorry uh, to both you, Renee, and the audience for somehow getting disconnected. Um, I mean, I've worked with people for a lot of years who wish they could mute me, but they were never successful until now. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and of course, it kept me from saying uh, all the wonderful things I wanted to say about Renee, who's been a friend of mine and an advisor of mine and a confidant of mine uh, uh, since he arrived in Atlanta. Uh, but and I heard him, uh, and I joined again as you were. He was talking about his father, um, and uh, you know he talked about his dad a lot, the way I do, and the hardworking thing, and the being driven thing, and somehow you know talked about that every day, being responsible to the opportunity he provided, and and what that does for you. Um, you know, so there, Renee, there, uh, go ahead. No, there was a few things that he always said. Ask questions. Um, don't doubt yourself. Be humble. Those were kind of the the three paths, right? And if you're having a, a bad day, sometimes you're not fulfilling one over another. Uh, but I always have those three mantras in my head as something that he would always uh, put into us uh, growing up. So um, let's let's talk about your uh, career. You've already said that you believe that everything you've done professionally is in service to the Hispanic community out of, that you come out of and which you love so dearly. Um, and, and certainly that's true with Mundo now. But let's talk about the work you did in book publishing. You worked for one of the largest imprints in the country, 
and you developed a uh, a branch of there or or uh, um, uh, of the company, an imprint dealing specifically with Hispanic Latino authors, which had never been done to the best of my knowledge until you came along. It, it, it certainly wasn't, not in an organized manner. Um, it, it was 1999, which is uh, crazy. Uh, and uh, I was in, I, I was a young managing uh, editor at the time. There, there was maybe three Hispanics in pretty much all New York book publishing. Um, I was one of them and I, I, I wasn't even an editorial proper, right? Uh, I was part of a company that acquired another company, thereby kind of tripling the workload and folks were laid off and it was stressful. And I, you know, there was a moment I, I it was so, it's so clear to me. Um, my office was on 53rd between Madison and Park, and I was overlooking um, what was a chunk of the Berlin Wall <laughs> that they had displayed across the street next to a fountain. And, you know, I mean, it was it, we were just working all the time. And I, I looked at this, the Berlin Wall chunk, and I thought, you know, I got I, I, I got to do something. I got to do something that makes that makes all of this worthwhile. Right. And that's that was kind of the spark of, OK, I, I, I'm here 11 hours of the day, you know, six days a week. What there aren't any Hispanics in the company right now, you know, why is that? And and coming from a place like, like Arizona, you know, I mean, where which a large percentage of the population is Hispanic. Um, it was, it was just, it was kind of a no brainer. So I put together my then first business plan and I pitched it to the then CEO, the only female CEO of a book publishing company, Jane Friedman, and she green lit it. And I, I remember, uh, I remember, you know, being in the elevator uh, with the president of the company um, coming down after she green lit this. And she said to me, you know, this doesn't happen. And, and I, you know, I, I really was too naive to know what that meant. Right. Um, but yeah, I I was uh, I was 22, you know, and then that was kind of the entrepreneurial. Okay, let's let's do this, you know. And it and you know it it was a great. I mean, it it taught me everything. It was you know a startup within a company in search of authors that represented the the myriad of voices within our community. And I was in I was in heaven, you know. There were challenges like all endeavors like that there were challenges within the system there i had to hire the hispanics that would then work on our books and sell our books and there was you know it was it was tough going that we didn't live in an enlightened kind of corporate world back then right so some of the things that i was you know presenting or the questions that i had to field were i mean today if I'd put that on TikTok. I'd put that on Twitter, you know, and be like, "Can can you believe?" Back then, that just wasn't the case, right? So you just kind of yeah. had to take it and move on. You, uh, Kevin, I want to bring in, but you, you, one quick thing, Renee. You told a uh, an interviewer at one point 
This was more than 20 years ago. Most people were not as receptive to reaching out to the Latino community as they are now. If only Gen Z had been in some of the meetings I was in with questions that, while well-intentioned, were so off the mark culturally as to be offensive. So we understand that you really had some barriers and obstacles to overcome. Kevin? So you come down the elevator uh, with the president, and at some point, I'm assuming you get off and go to your office. What what are you thinking as you sit at your desk at that moment? Yeah, well, so back to my office, looking at the chunk of the Berlin Wall, right? I mean, it was kind of, what, what the heck? Um, you know, what what do you do when your early ambitions are are in life are 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 met? Right? It, it's that there's a responsibility to it. You know, there you, you can't squander it. You got to okay. Now it's time to work ten times as hard to to make it happen. Right? Um, going back to my dad, that was kind of what it was all about right that was the day shift and the night shift and the afternoon shift um it then became real and i you know i doubled down i i think the next 5 years of my life was in that office <laughs> just nonstop the most exciting time though you know i i i think one and, you know, with, with the world as it was then, you know, there's constantly something that derails, right? We worked so hard to what was going to be probably the biggest season of, of the company as a whole. I, I had the biggest book of the company going on sale. It was going on sale September 11th, 2001. What okay. book was it? It was a book by Victor Villasenor called 13 Senses. He had written a book um, called Reign of Gold, which was um, which was just uh, one of those books that was taught in high schools and whatnot throughout the Southwest and Texas. And he's just Mexican-American. Uh, 13 Senses was the sequel. And it was a big coup to have, you know, acquired the rights and talked to Victor and blah, blah, blah. And... You know, I remember walking to the office that day, like, okay, it's, you know, here we are. He was going to be on the Today Show, <laughs> you know? I mean, it was like the full slate of media. And, well, you you know what happened, right? And so that was, and it took us, it took us, you know, a, a couple years to get back to that kind of momentum with, with the imprint and what we were trying to do. I mean, everybody's life changed that day, right? It wasn't just mine. Um but you know, you 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 kind of take those punches. You prepare. You move on. You try to figure out what to do next, and you just keep at least with myself. Then your eyes on the prize. So you talked about the need to go find people to work with, right? Uh, there weren't like a lot of Hispanic people, obviously, wandering the halls that you could convince to come work on your project. What was that like? I mean, were people available and willing, or were they skeptical? And 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 what was it like to 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 be that pioneer in recruiting people? You know, it's that's such a good it's such a good question. Not not only was it tough to find people, um, but the folks and and believe me, I'm not taking any of their talent uh, away. The 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 pool of talent that wanted to be in book publishing. Okay, like there's a select nerdy few like myself, right and <laughs> largely came from elite Latin American families, 
right? That were educated in at Ivy League schools, that there was a disconnect between a lot of, you know, they, they, they like everyone else in publishing, kind of had that disconnect from, say, my own personal background, which was blue collar, segregated, Southwest, um, Mexican, just ev even the, the, the discrimination within Hispanics, there's the, oh, you're Mexican, you know, and that, that, that was difficult to, to instill as a, as a, as a point of, of like cultural referenced employment. Like this is what we're doing folks, you know, and, uh, some of the smartest people in the world and I, you know, but yeah, it, it was hard to, it was hard to find the folks that really understood the path that I, I was trying to instill. And, you know, frankly, so oftentimes it, you know, I thought that we're, we're ahead of the curve. Um, book publishing now is different than it was. It's, you know, thankfully, and I, I, I can't help but think that the the authors the the voices that we published the the stink that I would make sometimes in the hall <laughs> with you know about things uh, had something to do with that in a little little way you know so so Renee let me bring it from the publishing job up to your current position at Mundo and all of the things that you've done to transform Mundo and and they're important to discuss but before we talk about them in specific ways I'd like to s sort of establish um, what what underlies everything you've tried to do at Mundo? You, you've said, and we talked briefly about the fact that you've said you feel your entire career has been about serving your Hispanic community. So as we move into talking about what Mundo is all about now, what does that mean to you? What does it mean to be in, in service to the community? What are the values? What are the ideas you're looking to get across? Uh, talk to us about that. I above anything having people understand that latinos are very complex human beings like everyone else and that it's very easy for for everyone and i get it to to box us into say a one topic monolithic either voting block or cultural representation, whether it be books, film, digital, whatever, right? Having folks understand that we are, we come in, in you know, we're, we're nerds and geeks like me. We're baseball players like, you know, the, we're, we're, we're everything under the sun. Um, but I, I gotta, I gotta say that when, when I, when I came to Georgia, when, and I went to my first Latino festival here at Plaza Fiesta. And I saw the families of the immigrants that had recently arrived with their little kids who were born here, you know, walking around, listening to, you know, Mexican regional music, which, you know, isn't exactly the coolest sound, right? I saw my family. That's how I grew up. And it was not the kind of Tony media, New York enclave that I had worked in for a long time. And that kind of boomerang into this is perfect. 
the what we publish is not for you know the folks who are reading the atlantic <laughs> it is not for the individuals who are out to watch a documentary on you know finance reform what we publish is for the people and those who don't might not have you know a, a, a high school education my my dad got through the sixth grade for example you know um those are the individuals that we serve and you know when i when i when i go to those events and when i go to those festivals those are the individuals that i want others to see we publish for if that makes sense uh, kevin one last question before we have to take a break yeah, I'm going to I'm going to do the job of teasing uh, to people to come back after the break, because uh, one thing we haven't gotten into uh, that I want to talk about uh, and reveal about Renee and our relationship is that. So when I first came to the AJC, Mundo was part of the AJC. And in fact, I had oversight of the editorial staff of Mundo at that time. And when that all changed, when the decision was made that, you know, that it was going to be sold and all those things. I had the experience of Renee patiently explaining a little bit about the mess I'd made, uh, things that I needed to learn and understand. And um, it was a powerful moment as we discovered how much we had in common and we discovered how much we had to learn about each other. All right. That is it, Kevin Riley. You always have a good way of teasing us into the next segment. So let's take a break now. We'll come back and talk about that and a lot more with our special guest. Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you, delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon. Quick program note before we continue. I mentioned on the show yesterday that tomorrow we're going to do a show that's kind of pegged to the fact that the uh, musical Parade won a Tony Award for Best Revival of a Musical. Its director uh, won a Tony Award as well. It's a story of Leo Frank, a story of an Atlanta Jewish businessman who was uh, falsely accused of a crime of murder and subsequently lynched. Um, Rabbi Elvin Sugarman will be on that show um, so will Steve Oney, who wrote the definitive book about um, the Leo Frank case. But when Alfred Urey found out um, that we were doing the show, Alfred's been a longtime New Yorker, he said, hey, I want to be a part of it. So <laughs> Alfred Urey, who won the Tony Award Sunday night for writing the book to parade and, by the way, has a Pulitzer for having written Driving Miss Daisy, is going to join us for what I think is going to be a spectacular conversation. Um Kevin, let's go back to what you started with. And if you don't mind, let me put it into a context, because I think where you're heading with what you're saying about your early experience with Renee is you probably fell into some of the stereotypes about the Hispanic community that Renee has so often on our show tried to disabuse all of us of. Have I got that about right? 
Well, yeah, among many, many things that uh, that he had the patience to to teach me and show me and help me understand, for which I'm eternally grateful. But honestly, it is true that when I came to the AJC, the 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 Mundo editorial staff was part of my purview. And at that time, we, you know, we had a lot going on, a lot of change, and really, um, we didn't do a great job. I mean, I give Cox and my company a lot of credit for having founded and supported Mundo, and, and I couldn't agree with Renee Moore that having it be owned, you know, owners who are part of the community and really uh, care and invest in it really does matter, you know, it just because you have to feel this in your bones in the, in the way that he does. Um, but that's when we when we first got to know each other, and um, I knew some of the staff members, and he had questions, and and you, what we had was a very dedicated group of people. But I also know as Renee pushed the, the organization forward, and maybe he'll talk about this. You know, they had to think about more than print. They had they needed different people. They needed different abilities, and he took he took that on in a way with with you know I would just say with persistence and grace and an ability to leave that I observed and learned from. So, Renee, so let's talk about that in this context. You made an important decision in sometime in more than a year ago uh, that uh, you really needed to, to move Mundo into the new brand, Mundo Now. And um, here's, I think I'm correct, that this is one of the things you said about rebranding Mundo Hispanico. You told this to an interviewer. What we learned based on the 2020 census figures is that there's a sea change happening within the Hispanic community. Uh, historically, Spanish language media and critically the advertising industry that supports it has been oriented toward a single demographic, recently arrived Spanish language dominant immigrants. But those of us who were born in this country or who immigrated to this country as young children didn't fit in that category. We kind of felt left out what media company was speaking to us. And that's actually part of an even larger subject, which is how incredibly diverse the Hispanic community actually is. Right. No. Um, and first of all, Kevin, you did an incredible job of you hiring some of the best journalists and whatnot at and for Mundo. What, what, what I think sometimes happens, though, with companies that either acquire or, or have, uh, you know, an endeavor to, to speak to our community, and, and this is kind of just a, a rule of publishing, right? It's not what you think they want to read it's what they actually want to read that matters, right? And so if I were to follow the rule of, okay, what folks think Hispanics want to read, it would be an immigration pamphlet with, you know, boxes to check on congressional reform for, you know, Hispanic leaders of the next generation. Well, that, while important, is not exactly going to turn the lights on with the individuals who we publish for, right? And so we shifted and we shifted as, and we, we you know, we, we made Mundo more for the people, right? That's what we did. And as a result, the numbers popped and, you know, suddenly we were actually covering uh, personalities that no one who, you know, isn't within the community knows about, right? And so it just became much more, thing, which is part of that 
yes, sometimes it really does matter when the ownership of a company walks the walk or understands the nuances, right? When we rebranded to Mundo Now, it was it was part of that same sentiment. You know, you see Hispanic families evolve. The immigration wave of first generation begets second generation yahoos like myself who went to public school that went to college whose critical thinking skills are in english right we have kids that are third generation that i they you know they say they know caramba they know they know little they know the bad words but they don't actually communicate in spanish and that's the immigrant acculturation curve that mundo needs to tap into Mundo's been around for 43 years. For us to be around another 43 years, we have to evolve with the times. And that's what led and fed into the rebrand. We started publishing a whole hell of a lot more English. We launched a podcast network. You know, we're, we're last month, we had over 600,000 downloads of our podcasts, which, you know, that says a lot about how we're connecting in the ways that we know people prefer to connect these days. So I have, a, I have a question for you, Renee, and it does go to things I've learned about you, and it might be a tough question, but um, I'm sure you can handle it. <laughs> I know from working with you on different projects and different conversations we've had, you can sometimes be resistant to uh, being asked to join I don't know, be in a room, be on a panel, join a conversation and be, I, you know, you, I think you used the term with me and I hope it's okay, you know, just the, to be the brown guy, you know, and your resistance to thinking, you know, like I can speak for all Hispanics or you want me to say the things everyone expects me to say and how, what I've learned from you for that. But so talk about what that's like to be a leader, you know, and be so prominent and be called upon to represent, also being aware of the limits of your ability to represent. Well, that is a tough question, isn't it, Riley? <laughs> um, <laughs> look, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm best in the trenches. You know, I know that I have a responsibility and a mantle to, at times, be a public more public face of our platform, of our community. But as much as I know of the diversity within our community, it's very difficult sometimes for me to go up there and say, this is what we, who we are, you know? Now, I get over that sometimes, right? And I, and I then participate. Um, and I've been I've been described by somebody who I respect immensely, and it was you know a point of of you need to work on this, yo. <laughs> and it was my uh, you know I I I lead from the back. I I I help position folks who I think do represent who we are into the front, you know. And and right now. Everything is in such transition with generations, with acculturation. You know, sometimes I, uh, there's the big question mark whether I, I, I'm too old to be up there, you know, or I'm too, and, and I say that in that La Gen Z, for example, 
The percentage of Latinos that comprise Gen Z is astounding. Latinos are Gen Z, right? I don't pretend to speak for or to or about Gen Z in a way that I understand. So there's a lot of change. And I, uh, I, I you know, I, I think about my, my dad's third mantra, be humble, you know? Sometimes going up there to uh, accept an award or be on a panel, um, well, is not exactly my most natural uh, place, you know? How's that for an answer? <laughs> no, I, I, well, I, that's why I asked it, because I've been in that conversation with you and I've watched you uh, struggle and handle it. And, uh, you know, and I know how many people come to you and, and say, look, I want to understand something. Can you help me? And it's not the, the, the answer is never as simple as people want it to be. Right. So and you, you know what? No, that's very that's very astute. And, and you know, it's an important question too, because I, I hope that individuals who are listening right now understand and that sometimes it's more than about where you feel comfortable, right? I have to give myself these kinds of pep talks a lot, right? Um I I do think about my time in in book publishing, you know, being being one of the only on my floor, um, in the company, at the head of the table, presenting books that, you know, folks won't even understand. And knowing through chit chat or what, you know, you hear things, um, it's a little scarring, you know, there's, there's a, there's, I, 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 growing up in, the Southwest at a time where, you know, just being Hispanic or Mexican was not something that uh, you, you know, kind of put on your forehead. Um, I grew up with some beef, you know, I grew up with some, uh, I that, that kind of, that, that put some, a fire under me, right? I found myself in the same situations at times in corporate media America and, and I and I remember thinking, I know this feeling. I remember this feeling. I, and you know, now that I am leading my own company, right, through the help of, say, Samza Maripa, who hired me, who, you know, it's a different vibe, right? I, it, I don't feel that any longer. But what we're able to do is kind of boomerang all of that into like forward motion for for us all. But yes, I agree. I need to do more, Kevin. <laughs> I wasn't pressing you to do you more. Were well, I'm sorry. well, 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 but, but, okay, so we're going to have to get to a break in a minute. But I want to, in some ways, I want to, you made a statement again in an interview that I think sums up a little bit of what you're talking about right uh, now. It, it, it came at the end of your book publishing career before coming to Atlanta for um, Mundo. Uh, you told an interviewer, quote, after 13 years of selling and reselling Latino 101, <laughs> I decided it was time I needed to go it alone. And that's kind of what Kevin is talking about when he says you're put into that box with some regularity. Uh, well, All right, it, let's it, do this. It, yeah. No, go ahead. It is. No, no, no. It's, a, you know, when I hear I hear you requote myself, which is, or quote myself, which is an odd feeling, you know, alive anyway, right? This is exactly the feeling that I try to avoid. Um, I, it, it rings even more true to me today about what I felt then. There, there is, um, 
there was one one highlights of my per personal and professional career was I founded a website that the then first lady Michelle Obama um was a fan of and she her team reached out and we had a, the first live stream in English with Michelle Obama in like the, the the storage room of an elementary school in Miami um and it led to my being a part of Obama's second administration as kind of an advisor to her office right and she invited um myself and my mom to tea at the White House and for Mother's Day. And I thought, you know, I thought it was going to be a huge thing because I'd been to, you know, gatherings at the White House. And I thought it was going to be like 100, 200 people. It wasn't. I, I, I sat like, you know, next to Michelle Obama's mom, who, you know, I mean, it was just one of those moments where you, you kind of, my mom, like she, we, I, did, I did good by her at that point, you know, <laughs> right? And it was one of those moments in my life where, okay, Latino, going through Latino 101 for 13 years amounts to something, you know? And I, so, I, yeah, I you, you take your licks, but you keep on, you keep on, you know, chugging along. All right, so we got to get to a break, but as we do, I'd like to make an observation. Renee Alegria, we have known you, Kevin, longer than I have, but we've known you and the audiences of Political Rewind have known you for a number of years now. But as a tribute to your humility, I have never before heard that story about you, Michelle Obama, and your mom. That is thrilling, and I'm really glad you shared it with us today. When we come back, let's start talking about the politics of the Hispanic community right now with our guest, Renee Alegria. You're listening to Political Rewind. Kevin Riley and I are talking with president and CEO of Mundo Now, Renee Alegria. Um, Renee, when we talk about um, minority influence groups in Georgia politics, we, of course, spend a lot of time talking about uh, uh, the, the African-American uh, vote here. But I think it's important that we talk about the Hispanic, the Latino uh, uh, vote. In the last 10 years, I think I have this figure right, the growth of the Hispanic community, we've had 31% uh, increase in the number of Latinos, according to the 2020 census, living in uh, the state, which is an enormous uh, and important group in terms of politics, but my experience over my 20 plus 30 now years of covering politics in Georgia has been for a very long time, the Hispanic community did not see itself uh, as an important player in politics, and that is changing. No, it, it absolutely is. I mean, demographics certainly are, are, are shifting in a way that is making Hispanics more and more relevant in the state of Georgia. And as a result, because the state of Georgia is now one of these bellwether states like uh, Kevin's native Ohio, we are even more so um, going to influence races on the state and local level and national. I, I, I think that there was always a certainly understanding nationally of the sleeping giant that is the Latino vote. Well, that 
is in the past. And we are seeing uh, Latinos now being more and more engaged, again, for the most part, driven by second, third generation uh, voters who are are ready to to make change. We're we're you know we're seeing we're seeing again it's it's younger millennials and Gen Z affecting a type of change that say baby boomers if affected when they were 17, 18, and 19, you know? So the entire state in five years is going to not only look completely different and depending on who you talk to, whether it's red or blue, going to vote completely different how and how that pertains to the Hispanic community is something that certainly we're tracking. Um, and it's one of the more interesting developments uh, in the country, I think. So Renee makes the point that depending on which, you know, whether you're Democrat or Republican, you see this emergence of the Hispanic voters uh, as fitting into your plan. So I'm going to I'm going to give an example of something that I think will give him a jumping off point. So really quickly, uh, last fall, we, uh, the AJC and a group of other news organizations, including Window, put together a poll that the University of Georgia did on Hispanic voters. And it was, it's a difficult group to poll and a, a difficult group to handle because we, the poll was done in English, it was done by phone, it was done in October of likely Hispanic voters. But let me read you one question. Did, do you support or oppose ending the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, also known as the DACA program, which protects children brought into the U.S. illegally from being deported. And so depending on where you sit, you, you have this idea of how that question is going to come out. And what I can tell you is, according to this poll, which, which is not perfect, we don't, it's really split down the middle. Hispanic voters are not definitely on one side or the other. What does that tell us, Renee? Well, wait, wait, let me add another uh, polling question to this. Uh, because this was done in advance of the 2022 election, another question was uh, whether you would vote for, you wanted Republicans or Democrats to control Congress. And that was split almost down the middle in the Hispanic world between Democrats and Republicans. Renee? So uh, with respect to DACA and, 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 and that question in that particular poll, you know, it, Depending on your country of origin, depending on the generation of which you find yourself in the acculturation curve, first, second, third, those factor into that answer. So, for example, if you're Mexican or Mexican-American, you're going to support DACA statistically, overwhelmingly. If you're Central American, you're going to support DACA statistically, overwhelmingly. If you're Second generation from uh, Latin American country, Colombia, Venezuela, the, the percentage goes down in support of DACA, right? So you really have to parse those numbers with that kind of context to, to, to really make sense of it. Well, and in fact, that's what I'm so glad you said, because that's part of what I've been pushing toward, which is you're explaining how incredibly diverse, depending on country of origin, depending on generation, the Latino community is. To consider it monolithic is foolish in the extreme, Renee. 
It, well, it's it's it, but it's it's so very you know American, which is lovely, right? And so many the oversimplification of who we are, you know, in our countries of origin, there are whole wars that are fought against one another. But here, we're here, so we're Latino, you know. I mean, it's it's comical when you think about it. Not so comical when you're conducting a poll that you paid for that's going to then become a soundbite and influence others to vote, you know, yes or no. Right. What What's the future for Mundo now? What are you looking at? Um, we've only got a few minutes left. So I'm wondering what you see as your vision for where you're headed. Well, we we like to certainly think of ourselves as honoring the past at, with an eye on the future. We still publish the paper. OK, we're the only Spanish language newspaper that is now published in Georgia, right? Um, we're one of maybe two in the Southeast. We've shifted what that looks like, of course, for the to keep it connected with what we do. But in honoring the past, it fuels us with what we're doing in the future. We're, we launched our podcast network again that we're so proud of. We're continuing to publish and reach out into the community in ways through video. The future for Mundo now is really demographically the future of Georgia and the entire United States. So we we've got to we've got to we've got to stick our landing, if you will, and keep it going. Kevin, and, and what advice <laughs> would you give to people who recognize that wow, this emerging group of people uh, are going to be so important. As you said, I mean, the, the future of Hispanics in Georgia is the future of Georgia. Uh, give me three things to pay attention to or three things this group of people is going to care about that you're confident in. Three things, huh? Um, if you want to make it two, you can make it two. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 would, I would have um, business leaders and politicians really pay attention to the Latino youth that are frankly in trouble, men mental health, um, the future economic uh, dynamism. Um, you listen to that generation and you get their parents because all they want to do is have a future that's successful for their children. That's, that's one thing. Be be diverse in who you surround yourself with as well. You know, uh, if you have somebody of Mexican descent, you know, balance that out with somebody who's Colombian or Venezuelan. Really get different perspectives and have dialogue within your organization so that you don't just have one point of view. It's the concept of DE and I roll out through countries of origin. And that is where you're going to have a better understanding of who we are as a community. Renee Alegria, I'm going to save you from trying to come up with a third point, which Riley was pushing <laughs> you toward, because we are completely out of time for this conversation. Uh, Kevin Riley, as always, uh, it's such a pleasure to have you as my partner on Thursdays. Um, Renee Alegria, it has, you have honored us by your willingness to appear so frequently on Political Rewind. And we are so pleased to have had this opportunity to talk to you today. Thank you, Renee. And by the way, good luck at the Emmys. You're up for what, eight, nine Emmys this coming weekend? Twelve, Bill. Twelve. Twelve. <laughs> 
Yeah, Renee, well, thanks for being here. On Thank you very much, everybody, for having me on. Thank you. We'll be back. We'll be back again with a brand new show tomorrow. In the meantime, I'm Bill Nigat. Take care, stay healthy, and please be good to one another. See ya.